This is the Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. Best of luck if you're running the Chicago Marathon this weekend. Today on the podcast, my guest is English Gardner. I love having a track and field athlete on the show. English is a sprinter for Nike. She's a two-time Olympic medalist and a two-time U.S. 100-meter champion. She's also an NCAA indoor and outdoor champion. She ran for the Oregon Ducks. In this episode, we hear a lot about her career and life on the track. We also hear a lot about her personal story with depression and mental health struggles, and she is so open and honest about it. And if this helps even one person listening today, then that's all that matters in my mind. It's so important to hear other people share their story so that we all know, and anybody walking through this knows that they are not alone. So English, thank you so much for opening up and sharing your story on this podcast. And a little fun fact I just stumbled upon on Instagram. In this episode, English tells us she's about to go on a little trip, give herself a little break, and I see that she got engaged on the trip. So super excited for her. Congratulations, English, on your engagement. All right, and this episode of the podcast is supported by Koala Clip, which is the best way to carry your phone on the go. You just clip it to the back of your sports bra, put your phone in there, zip it up. It stays totally dry no matter how sweaty you get, how hard it's raining. Trust me, I've run in the rain with my Koala Clip many times and it stays totally dry. And I even use it for marathons so that I have my phone at the end of the race. It's so, so simple. They also have an apparel line and my favorite sports bra of all time is the Ren sports bra. A very great price there, only $39. And I'm telling you, it's the best sports bra I've ever worn. I get very excited every time it comes through and it's clean. You all can save when you go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. That's koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER at checkout. That'll get you 10% off. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with English. Today on I'll Have Another, we have English Gardner on the show. Welcome to the show, English. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to have a sprinter on the show. You know, I focus on distance running a lot. So when I get the track people on, it's always really fun. Absolutely. Totally different worlds. I always say you guys may be a little bit more nuts than we are because you, you're you putting through your body through a whole lot more than I do. I'm just 10 seconds, you know? <laughs> so much intensity in that 10 seconds, though. Yeah, it's as graceful as ballet, but as uh, aggressive as crumping. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> can you crump? Oh, tear it up. Really? You crump? I can, I'll tear it up. I'll tear it up, man. I'm a life of the party. Oh, my gosh. Because I, I, So I used to watch So You Think You Can Dance. Did you ever watch that oh, show? Oh, me too. Every, every day. Okay. Even, even on like YouTubes. Yes. And you know, Twitch is now hosting it. Ah. And I started watching it back in the day when he was a contestant. 
And yeah. so I, he, I like follow him on Instagram, him and his wife. And so I was like, oh, he's going to host. So I started watching it again. And I kind of forgot about Crump because that's when I was yeah. introduced to what it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I stole that quote from my college coach. He used to tell me that all the time when I used to come back from practice, like, man, I'm hurting. He'd be like, sprinting is a violent activity. It is violent. That's so good. <laughs> what do us distance people though? What do we need to know about track? Not necessarily track because there is some distance on the track, but like the sprinter life. I think that sp- sprinting is more like boxing, so to speak. Like, you know, you have a lot of uh, colleagues that you become really close with because you're just running on the circuit with all the time. And, but it gets really uh, individualized and personalized, whereas I see a lot more distance runners kind of like a little bit more closer I see a little bit more of a commodity, I guess, in distance running. I've noticed that over the years. Like, they can warm up together. You guys can cool down together. You rarely kind of see sprinters warming up together before. We, before. I think it's a little bit too aggressive as a sport um, for us to kind of get get down in the nitty-gritty like that. So I think that would be the biggest difference. Um, and then other than that, I mean, we. I, I think you guys – are harder workers (laughs) because I just can't see myself doing some of the mileage a week that you guys put in like I'm complaining about doing 1500 meters for like three days and you guys are like (laughs) killing that in one day like gone so I think those are the major differences that's so true too because in distance running the camaraderie comes with the race too like even though you're fighting to the end like when you're doing a marathon, you're working together a lot of the race. You're like, that's what I heard. Yeah. And especially like the majors, like the Americans will work with each other to try to place as high as they can. And so when you're competing in an event that is so fast, it's like, there is nothing that I'm yeah. working with you on this. <laughs> no conversation. needed. <laughs> and the gun goes off. You just go. <laughs> so good. So how are you? Did you just get back to the States? Yeah, um, I did my last little European tour to finish up the year. This has actually one of, been one of my longest seasons that I've had. Um, I usually stop after Worlds, but because I didn't run as well as I wanted to this year, I decided to kick my butt a little bit longer. Um, and it was worth it. I went out. Um, I ran a season's best, <laughs> the last race of the season. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's nice. That's awesome. <laughs> nice for my legs legs to show up. It was a good way to kind of, you know, tap off the season and kind of, you know, see everything that I've kind of been battling. It was a rough mental year for me this year. Um, I think I was talking to a lot of the track runners on the circuit and their biggest thing is, is like, we usually have an off year after mm-hmm. the Olympics and we didn't, we went straight into worlds. And so a lot of us were really like tired and dinged up with a few injuries here and there. And so just mentally this year, it took a lot for me to kind of like get in the swing of things and really just get into everything. But um, for the most part, it was a pretty good end of the season. You know, it's interesting that you brought up feeling tired this year and like coming off worlds because there's a reason that that cycle is like Olympics every four year worlds, you know, every two years. And so to not have that opportunity to give your body that break, I haven't really talked to a lot of people specifically about that topic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was, it, it didn't really hit me until 
I started November training this year and I was like, I'm still tired. Mm -hmm. Like just mentally, it was just, I put so much into Olympic year. And then even prior to that, Olympics was supposed to be in 2020. So I had already had that mental, let's go. Like I, I've always been a type of athlete. When is the championship year? There's just something in me that kind of like stirs up. And I, I enter in the season just a different person. I'm pushing myself further than what I've been. You know, I've always been a stickler. of You can't do something new unless you go somewhere where you, you haven't been. So whenever there's a championship year, I'm always just like, you got to take yourself to where you've never been. And so 2020, I did just that. I had an amazing mm -hmm. training year. I mean, when I say I was like, okay, this may be like my 10-6 year and I'm feeling it and I feel good. And I finally don't feel my injuries that I've been battling with. And then Olympics got canceled. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I'll just keep building onto this year. And then next year, I'll just stir it back up again. And so that's kind of what I did. I stirred it back up again. Again, having an amazing training season. I felt so good on top of the world. And then two weeks before USA's Olympic trials, I caught COVID. Mm. So I love to watch other athletes and listen to what they go through and like how they mentally charge themselves for their season and stuff and so I was listening to an old MMA fighter and he was saying you know at some point motivation is going to walk out the door mm. and you're going to have to figure out how to still be disciplined without motivation because discipline and consistency is what's, what gets you your goals is what makes you great motivation is just like the extra cherry on top that just makes you go crazy but when you don't have that, like, how do you still produce? And that was something that I was faced with this year was I was having a really hard time being motivated to get my body back to that level again and not be disappointed and not feel tired and not feel like I've wasted some work, some work, you know, and it was it was tough. Especially, you know, going through, on top of that, going through, like, contract things, you know, it was, I've been in and out of battles with my contract ever since I tore my ACL the second time. So, it's been a lot mentally for me this year. And so, having that off year taking away, it was kind of like, okay, not only do I have to battle all of these personal things that I'm feeling about my body changing, you know, I'm 30 years years old this year so I noticed a lot of changing in my training my body um I'm still fast but you know it just takes a couple of extra things to kind of get there and um accepting that accepting the fact that I you know I actually I, I switched coaches I left John Smith came back home been training with my father again and it's been it's been a rocky road on top of COVID so I, I definitely feel like there's a lot more athletes out here who struggle with that, struggle with the fact that we've kind of been going nonstop at, at this certain pedestal and certain athletes are going to excel really well and certain athletes are going to struggle. And I guess that's just the, the way the game works. And I've been trying to navigate who I am in this process. Why did you switch back to your dad coaching you? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> And how long were you coached by John Smith? I know you used to be coached by your dad as well. Yeah, so um, my dad kind of coached me throughout high school. Um, he was my high school coach. And then he ended up 
uh, kind of letting me go a little bit in college, but still kind of keeping the hands on. And every now and then when John, Coach Johnson, when he used to coach at Oregon, when he couldn't like break me in practice and stuff, he would call my dad up and like, what can I do? I need, I need her to give me a little bit more, you know what I mean? So he's always had his hand in my training, even when I was at John Smith. So I went to John Smith in 2013 um, after my NCAA season. And I was with him from 2013 to 2017. Okay. During my 2016 season, um, I started to notice that it was really difficult training in the training group that I was in. Um, We had a lot of stuff going on in that training group. Um, Just a lot of personalities. Just to throw some names out there, it was me... Uh, Blessing Okobare, Gil Roberts, Yusuf Amani, Carmelita Jetter, Mandy White, Kimberlyn Duncan, uh, Ramonte McLean. We had a, a Paralympian um, train with us at the time as well. And so all of those great names in one camp, it was kind of, I loved it because it was kind of like world championship and Olympic trials every practice. So I was able to step on the line come meet day, very free, you know, like not worried about anything because I had such a stacked training group. But when you have a whole bunch of personalities like that and then they don't really mesh and mesh well, it kind of becomes more of a distraction than a help. Mm. We also had a couple of uh, steroid Mm. usage in our group. And um, I think... The last straw for me in the training group was I, I was training for Olympic trials um, in the best shape of my life. Um, knew that I could run 10-7, 10-6 easy. Uh, I knew that I had a really good chance of winning Olympic trials just based off of just the numbers that I was hitting in practice and stuff. Um, I would say about February-ish, um, we are doing a lot of training And I'm noticing that I'm just not getting the rest periods that I kind of needed and trying to express, you know, how I felt about it to my coach. Um, And it was just hard. I think it was just hard for him to juggle all of us because all of us individually had different needs, you know, like my start was really good. So I didn't really need to spend a lot of time in block starts, but you know, Jet's finish was better. So she could have spent more time in a block start. So I just think just juggling all of us and all of our individual careers, it wasn't just like we were a whole bunch of runners just trying to make it. Like each one of us had our own stage. We had our own name for ourselves in the sport, you know? So there was a lot of ego there. There was a lot of pulling of the coaches, um, and I just kind of, I wasn't really given the the time and the focus that I, I thought I needed. And I ended up having to have my dad fly in 2016 and give me coaching. But even uh, backtracking from that, I was basically saying I wasn't getting the rest period I needed. And I ended up tearing my meniscus in February before Olympic trials. I knew I tore my meniscus. I kind of expressed to everyone around me that something was wrong, but I wasn't willing to go to the doctors and fix it because I was like, the Olympics is like 
down the ways and I can make it like I'm a tough cookie. I'll just, you know, make sure that I'm diligent in my rehab and we'll just have to really pay attention to my training program. And so that's kind of when my dad came down and really kind of focused a little bit more on me so that I got the attention and the, um, I guess the work and the focus that I needed for that moment ended up paying off. You know, I won, I won Olympic trials. I, I had a torn meniscus in Olympic trials. I ended up going all the way to the Olympic games with a torn meniscus. And um, when I came back that following season after 2016, I thought because of my injury, some things were going to change and they didn't. And, you know, track and field is a type of sport where you build relationships and you love people. You go to war with these people and you feel like, okay, I can just stick it out. But it's also a sport where if you don't, it's like, what have you done for me lately? So I knew that if I didn't produce like I did the year before, that I was going to be put in a position. And it was my option year as well. So I knew I was going to be put in a position of possibly being cut as a Nike athlete or losing a, a lot of money. Um, and when I just wasn't getting what I needed, I expressed it. And uh, I ended up tearing my ACL again that year. Wow. Um, due to overtraining, I think just the neglect of paying attention to the athlete. Um, I'm the type of runner, like, I'm every week I'm going to my physical therapy sessions, I'm ice bathing, I'm Epsom salting, I'm, but I'm also like, type of runner to put 115 out on the track you know regardless of what's going on around me what's in my life what's going on so I knew that when I crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's and things still physically and emotionally just wasn't working out between me and him I knew that it just wasn't a good fit and sometimes it's like that you know, sometimes they can be an, a phenomenal coach, just not your phenomenal coach, you know. And that was a tough pill to swallow because I felt like I stayed longer than I probably should have. I could have probably avoided my second ACL injury. Um, took a lot of forgiveness on my part, on myself. But when I did tear my ACL the second time, my contract got cut significantly, like more than chopped down the middle. And I couldn't afford to live in L.A. anymore. Mm. So it kind of made a decision for me. It was almost like the universe was like, I've been trying to tell you to make moves and you obviously need a push. So I always say things don't don't happen to you. They happen for you. So I tore my ACL for me to kind of wake up and, and love myself a little bit more and choose me and be a little bit more hands on in my life and in my career. And um, there were so many rumors going around. I mean, I had a lot of rumors about, you know, what was going on in that camp. And I simply left just because I just I needed to just look out for myself. Mm. And I didn't ha I didn't have that at all in L.A. And as a runner, I'm sure, you know, like in order to produce the things that you need to produce, you kind of got to be in a good headspace or it's just not going to work. You know, track is. 99% mental, I feel like. And then the rest is just God-given talent and hard work. But you you really have to have a good head on your shoulders. And the way I was handled in L.A., I didn't have a good head on my shoulder. So I had to come home. So I came home 
I trained really well with my dad the first year. I think our first full season was 2019. Um, I made the the world team. I got second at USA's. I was running about 10-9, 11-0s, which, you know, from switching to coach, first year of us coaching, I was impressed. I was like, you're, you're, you're ready. You can do this. Like, you don't, you don't need the names that everyone says you need. You just really need to make sure that you give yourself the best opportunities and put your best foot forward and get the job done. And so, yeah, that's why, that's why I'm training with my dad. And he's, he trained me for free for about four years. And then finally I got, I got courage enough to ask Nike for a coaching stipend. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was That's just awesome. Like, you know, and honestly, I, I attribute that to Allison for real. Cause you know, mm. she had, she had bust the doors wide open with this whole track and field thing by leaving Nike and just, you know, standing up for herself and, and saying no and starting her own brand. And so I was just like, you know, why can't, why can't I ask for things? Why can't I demand something? Obviously, you know, you've put in enough work that you could have some say, you know, like I'm top 10 of all time in my sport. Like I should be able to ask for a couple, you know, hundred hours for my coach, you know, yeah. every, every year. So that kind of worked out. I ended up getting my dad the coaching stipend. So he's officially a paid professional coach now and um, as he should be yeah and so that's kind of where we are now we're just you know figuring it out um learning uh haven't had a pretty good season this year I would say a lot of learning this year I mentally like I said wasn't in a good space and so I ran like it I ran looking like I was panicked to keep my contract I ran panicked to keep and remain my status in the sport. I ran to maintain my bills. I ran to live and survive inflation and the aftermath of COVID and stuff like that. And it showed. And it wasn't until my last two races of the season where I was just like, you need to run because you love it. Mm. Because you're just damn good at it. Like, show yourself that you're still a beast, whether you believe it deep down or not, you got to get out here and just run like you are. Run like you're English gardener and stop running like you don't know who you are. And I ended up season investing at the end of the year. So I'm going to take that little pep talk and I'm keep kicking my butt all off season and working on myself. I am going and starting sports psych with a sports psychologist, um, just to just hash out some things like mentally that I just don't tell people. As track runners, we always kinda keep things in our head, but it's like running with suitcases when you do that, you know? So this episode of the podcast is supported by ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, the, with real, verified patient reviews, you can find the right doctor for you, one that actually remembers your name. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. Search, find, and book doctors with just a few taps. Go to ZocDoc, 
zocdoc.com slash another and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com slash another zocdoc.com slash another. All right, back to the show. You've done a good job though, like being open and sharing with your mental health struggles. And I think it's so important. People see you this like one of the fastest runners of all time. Yeah, yeah. Olympian. And they see you talk about the mental struggles. And I don't think a lot of people do that. What gave you the courage to share? I think when I almost lost my life, I, I was just like, well, you really have nothing to lose. I mean, you feel like the world is against you already. So what's the worst that can happen if you let them know that that's how you feel, you know? And uh, 2016, when I was going through all of that stuff, coaching wise and injuries and all that stuff, right before the Olympics, I actually did attempt to kill myself. And it wasn't until... I had some loved ones that actually like contacted me right at the moment and was just like, what are you doing? Like, we need you. The world needs you. Like, you're not supposed to just end it all. You're supposed to survive so you can tell someone else how to, you know what I mean? And that hit me, that hit me hard because I was just like, I almost gave up an opportunity to save another life because I felt like mine was a little bit unbearable. And I'm stronger than that. And still to this day, like, I think about how I even got to that moment. And I tell people all the time, like, depression doesn't just go away. You know what I mean? You just, you, you become a better person to better manage it. And I'm more than a conqueror now. And I'm, I'm better than feeling like I should not be here. I feel like I belong more than ever now. Only because, not to belong, just to do great and be on TV and let people see me and stuff like that. But I've had so many people contact me. Like I almost was out of here and you were the only person that I could watch on, on YouTube and listen to your post, your post that you post every day. Like those things are, are what kind of keeps me going a little bit more. So now, and um, it's a different kind of strength because I used to run before just to be cool. You know, I was, I wanted to be like Maurice Green and, and spray my shoes with a fire extinguisher. You know, I wanted to be almost like a Fred Curley and put my arms through the line and have everybody screaming my name. You know, I, I used to want to be like Shakari and wanted people to call me that girl. But I think my, my whole perspective on life has changed. My whole perspective on why I have this gift, why I am so fast, and the platform that I can use in this journey has changed, is, has definitely shifted in my mind. And so I, I've always felt like I had to tell my story. And even now, like I've been building my case up eventually. I've talked to a couple of high schools around this area, but I've been, you know, taking a lot more podcasts and and interviews and stuff because I just feel like this is my therapy as well. You know, I just, I let it out. I, I tell people the truth about track and field and not just the glitz and glamour. I always tell my dad, if I knew what I knew about the game now, I don't know if as a little girl, I would have fully committed to this dream 
the way I did. But I don't regret doing it because if it's anybody that can change the game, it would be me. So what's your everyday process with knowing that depression is not something that you can control when it hits and when it doesn't hit? And like when you feel it coming on now, now that you've walked through it all these years? Yeah, I think um, what helps me is I do I do a centering every morning, whether it be in the car before practice or with my coffee in the living room where I just kind of just be still. I kind of just listen to my body. I accept. I've learned now that I have to accept how I feel and not make myself feel like I have to continuously suppress it. Like, no, you you feel this way. You may not know why in this moment, but you do feel this way. And it's okay to have these feelings, but don't just throw them away. Don't just bask in them because there is such thing as being in love with being heartbroken. Like you can be so upset and so devastated about things. And that's kind of what happened to me this year. She could be so intertwined with the negative feelings that you have that you almost become in love with that norm and that feels normal to you and anything above that now is completely that you can operate in panic so much that panic becomes your your every day it's something that you need it's almost like an alcoholic if I'm having a glass of wine or you know I'm having three or four glasses of wine every day I start feeling like I need the wine to feel like me so now I need the heartbreak I need the worry I need the stress I need uh, the disappointment to feel normal. And I started realizing that I had to tell myself every day, like, nah, that's not normal. It's normal for you to feel like this, but it's not normal for you to only want that for yourself and not have any type of gratitude throughout the day or any type of self-worth in the moment. My mom always says, you can eat a whole elephant. You just have to eat it one piece at a time. And so I've kind of took that and spun it on my own. My girl always tells me every day, she's like, whenever she can see that I'm not motivated to go lift or I'm not motivated to go run and practice and hurt, she'll tell me, you know, take it one moment at a time. Just show up. And after you show up, start. And after you start, push yourself. And then I've started doing that throughout this whole year and I didn't see results right away but then I started noticing that the consistency and the discipline of just being there for myself and showing up um, kind of helped me be able to at the end of the year grasp a mental concept that was able to pull me out of that rut so I tell people all the time you're allowed to feel your feelings aren't reality your feelings are the temperature gauge. So your feelings and your emotions are a gauge that you've been personally gifted so that you know how hard you got to fight, how much you have to stand in the gap for yourself, and the love that you have to kind of pull from within for yourself. So whenever things in my life, as young kids say, turn up and go crazy and just start piling up I mean my life is like crazy right now like crazy I mean my dad has COVID my landlord just told me today that he has to sell so I have to find uh, another place to live uh, 
family members in the hospital, you know, I didn't run that well. So I'm just waiting to see what kind of damage Nike does. You know, it's like, my life's not butterflies and rainbows right now. And, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I was able to finish my season. I'm grateful I got a season best. I'm grateful that I'm here talking to you and being able to share my story and share everything that I've kind of been going through because nobody does. (laughs) Everybody just posts the good stuff. Oh, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, so it's it's an everyday process. I I tell my siblings all the time, like, I just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm not depressed anymore. I just woke up and I was just like, depression, I'm just ready to kick your ass now. I'm, I'm tired of you beating me up and I owe myself better. I have never heard it explained the way you just explained it, like being in love with the feeling. Like, you don't want to feel like that, but you're almost, like, obsessed with feeling like that. Because that's all you have in that moment. Because you feel like the whole world is crashing down. You don't have anything. You're just out there. You're existing. But the only thing that you can call yours is your heartbreak. Mm Because that's that's real to you, you know? And you you have – it's a fine line from, you know, coping with it and then abusing yourself with it. And I think that's something that I learned. I learned today, was yeah. well, this year was I had to stop abusing myself with my circumstances. Yeah, no, that's like so true. I I deal with some pretty intense health related anxieties, and when it comes and it's it's in me, it is all I think about, and it is an yeah. obsession. And I mm-hmm. I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. But my mind won't stop. And that is so real. Yeah. I didn't have that epiphany until I was watching this terrible show. It's called Big Mouth. And it just like, it's all about like your hormones and things that humans deal with, but they put them into characters. So they have like a worry mosquito and they have a depression kitty and a depression kitty. She's like super fluffy. She's comforting in her voice. And I'm like, that's appeasing. And that's why it's hard to get out of the depression because it kind of feels good because it's you go from not feeling anything to but I feel this emotion. Mm-hmm. And and since I can feel that, let me just linger here just a little bit because I haven't felt anything in months. And that's kind of how I ended up fighting it again this year was just I wanted to feel something. And I I felt heartbreak. I felt disappointment. I felt humiliation. I felt grief. I, I mourned myself. I mourned my career before I even told myself I was going to quit. And I was like, this is not okay because you still didn't do everything you said you were going to do. And I tell people all the time, I couldn't make myself quit if I wanted to. Like I can say it. I can say it a million times, but the moment I decide, okay, I'm done. I'm going to be crying that I chose to be done. So, (laughs) So I might as well just cry because I just can't figure out why I don't feel where I want to feel. And then hopefully eventually, like, you know, it'll just it'll fall into my lap. But with track and field, it's just it's one moment. You just need one moment. And that's that's the thing. Like I I ran in my first meet when I first went overseas. I went to Italy first and I ran in that first meet and I didn't run as well as I wanted to. But I felt different. And I said, whoa. okay, that felt like me that this year you're saying 
Yeah, it okay. was like the last two meets of the season. I went over to Italy for my first meet, and I ran the race, not expecting, not embrace, not bracing for disappointment, not worried about the outcome of not running well, not worried about what they're gonna write about me online, not worried about how weak I look to my competitors. And I just went out there and I, I competed and executed and I only paid attention to myself. And that was the first time that this year that I actually felt like a runner again. When you run, you feel free. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like hearing the wind blow past your ears. I always tell people when I run, that's the closest thing I feel to God mm. is when I run. I feel godly when I sprint. Like I, the way you imagine it to feel to be able to run and be one of the fastest women in the world, like I'm addicted to that feeling. And I had to run all year without that. And so when I finally got a little taste of it in in Italy, I was like, oh, that's all I needed. And it was from from then on, it was races better and better and better and better until I ended the season with a season best. And I was like, okay, you're running 11-0 again. You're not slow. You're not washed up. You shouldn't retire. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many people told me to retire this year. Like, I'm just having you know, a mental breakdown and you guys are telling me to quit on the only thing that's kind of keeping me together, but you know, it's cool. But yeah, I have family members and people, friends, you know, you had a good run, you did well. And I'm just like, I'm not done. Shelly Ann's like 36. Yeah. I was going to ask you. So you're 30, you're 30. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean in the sprinting world? Like in the distance world, when you're in your thirties, like you're rocking and rolling. Like, do you feel like yeah. you're on bar- borrowed time? And then does, it's Shelly and Fraser mm-hmm. Price. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. So I feel like I'm just now getting into my prime. Like I've just now started feeling like I have a woman body. Like my muscles are maturated. They're, they're mature. Like I don't have to work hours at something to build a strength in it like because I've already been here and my body has already been here it's easier for me to kind of maneuver through this I guess this this maturity of my of my running and I now see that me tearing my ACL and having to sit well tearing it twice in my career and having to sit out those years were blessings in disguise Mm -hmm. because now I don't have the mileage that a lot of these other runners have but scientifically speaking a female sprinter will hit her prime anywhere between 32 and 36. Oh here we are. So I'm not even there yet. <laughs> I'm just knocking on the door and I feel and that's the way it feels. It feels this year that I actually can do certain workouts where I used to struggle and now I'm kind of like breezing through. And uh weight room wise, I'm a lot more mature in that area as well. So it's been a lot more difference. I got thicker this year. Um just naturally thicker. I I used to be like a buck 16 my whole life. And I'm now entering my seasons at like 130, 128, 123, racing probably towards August. I'll get down to 123. And uh, it feels good not to have to like force feed myself to get there. And, you know, so there's there's some positives in getting older. And um, I'm 
I'm so ready to walk into my season. I feel like everything happens at an appointed time. And I cannot negate that. Most of my career has, has been aligned and has been very strategic, I think, universe-wise. Like, I met John Capriati when I was nine years old. Told that man I was going to be a Nike athlete. When everybody told me to go to LSU in Texas, I ended up picking Oregon. I ended up being a Nike athlete after that. Like, everything kind of always has worked out for the betterment of my good. And so I've been now in a place where I'm just like, there's no room for doubt. I'm just growing. I am becoming a fully mature fruit. And when it's time for me to be picked, I'll be picked. And when it's my moment, it'll be my moment. And I, I think a lot of people negate that about track and field because they feel like I just got to win all the time. I got to be on top. But it's just like the sport isn't great if we're all not having great moments here and there. You know what I mean? So I've, I've been enjoying watching some of my good friends finally get their moment. Like watching Aaliyah Hobbs make it to Diamond League final and seeing T.T. Terry come out on the circuit and actually like doing well for herself as a, as a young, young track runner and learning, she, you know, she's learning and I'm able to now as a veteran kind of sit back and watch these kids kind of go through the process that I went through. And I'm realizing that like, I see people who are came in before me, like Shelly Ann, who are, you know, had a couple of bad years. And then all of a sudden now she's having one of the best hundred meter seasons ever ran. You know, so there's no there's no blueprint for track and field. I think we're just a whole bunch of freaks of nature that defy gravity and defy time. And when it's your moment to do that, it'll be your moment. And I feel in my gut that my moment is approaching. And I feel that only because I just stayed, I stayed committed. Whether I believed truly or not, I worked like I did and I'm expecting it to come out on the other end. For yeah. Sure. It's hard to like zoom out when you're walking through it. Yeah. Especially when you're walking through a sucky year, when you're not performing the way you want to perform, but then you yeah. have to, if you can look at other people's careers and the longevity, like not every year was a home run. It's so hard to see it though, when you're in it. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It really is. And when I think about it, like this is, I've had some rough seasons, you know, I've had some injuries, but I've always made it to a championship. I've always kind of come out and somehow snagged a medal or somehow got on the relay team or, or did something. And this is actually my first season where I didn't make a championship in the 10 years that I've been pro. How is that sitting with you? At first, I was really angry that it even existed. I'm a perfectionist, you know, I'm, a, I'm my worst critic, you know, but now that the season is over and I, and I can like sit back and like you said, zoom out and look at everything. That's pretty badass. Like in 10 years, you, you've really never fallen off the the wagon. Like you've been a, a crucial part of the sport. You've been a household name for a little bit and you know, every dog has his day, you know, and I, like machines get tired computers die you know what I mean like <laughs> like I can't I can no longer hold myself to the robotic standard that the world has for professional athletes because that's just not me 
I'm a regular girl from, from South Jersey. I love pizza, coffee, dogs, and I just happen to run fast. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Pravenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. Pravenex is where I go for my multivitamins and supplements, particularly the Joint Health Plus is such a great supplement for runners. It protects your joints. I've had so many people come to me and say they couldn't believe how well the Joint Health Plus worked and how much better they feel from using it. I am a big fan of their protein powder. I use it pretty much every day. My kids use it as well. It's delicious. They have vanilla and chocolate. It is vegan and it is tasty to just shake up with water after a quick workout, or you can make a really delicious nutrient dense smoothie with it. I actually sprinkle it on bananas and peanut butter for my kids. They love it that way. And there's just no other company I believe in, like I believe in Prevenex when it comes to vitamins and supplements and protein powder, I should add. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order, or you can use the code LINDSAY15, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 for 15% off. Go check it out. They have a money back guarantee on all their products. So if you are not 100% satisfied, they will make it right with you. But I have a feeling you will be satisfied. Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER or LINDSAY15 for 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. You just reminded me, like when you said that robotic standards, you reminded me of Simone Biles last last summer when she decided like she wasn't going to do that last competition. I forget what event or what she, yeah. what she stepped away from and her, she was struggling with her mental health. And it's so true. Like there's just like the outside people see these like robots doing these like extraordinary, like extra human things. And it's like, there's so much more to that. Like you're not a robot. There is a mental game to this, yeah. which is, which is why like, it was so important that she did what she did. She needed to for herself, yeah. but like for the world absolutely. to see that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the world would appreciate athletes a little bit more too if they shifted their thinking like that because now it's just like, okay, this person puts their pants on just like me. Like they're struggling with their grandparents passing on, you know? They're sitting here and, and struggling with their own health and their own mental health and their bills and, and inflation, just like me. Like I, I, I can't name how many times I've told some of the kids that I, cause I train at after 2020, when I seen a lot of kids didn't have like coaches and stuff, like I was like, dad, I'm, I'm going to put a, a, a group together and I'm going to train kids, you know, for a small fee, but I'll give them everything I got, you know, and just, just to give them something because so many programs went away after 2020 so many coaches got fired so many um athletes quit their sport because they just didn't have the help so to speak so um when I coach these kids I think them seeing like oh man English just literally I just heard her get off the phone with a bill collector you know I just I just heard her say like you know she said like even before I went to Europe this year um, I was in the hospital for three days, not I knowing what was wrong with me. What was going so, on? Um, I I had been dealing with like back pain for I would say for like three weeks, and like my masseuse was like going overtime, and she's like, maybe your body is just like you know shutting down. Season's been long, like you've been pushing extra hard, and so 
I, I got out of the weight room. I was like, I'm gonna just take a break from the weight room and see if that'll just like, you know, let my back calm down because it's hard to run with your, with your back hurting. And when it didn't calm down, I think it was like a Sunday, like three weeks ago, a Sunday, I was like, I feel sick. And I ran to the bathroom mm. and just like was hugging the porcelain. And I was like, okay, something's wrong with me. Like, I don't, I'm usually the most healthiest person ever. Come to find out my back pain was due to a kidney stone. Oh. And when the kidney stone tried to pass, Oof. it ended up getting blocked. And I ended up getting a kidney infection. So I was running in Europe that whole time with the kidney infection, just popping antibiotics. Just, But if I didn't go, then I would have been cut by Nike. That, that That's the reality of track and field, though. It sucks. No one's ever going to open up and say, and I don't blame, I don't blame my shoe company that I run for because in the beginning of the year, I signed a contract. So contractually, I had to complete Mm. 10 races Mm -hmm. in order for me not to be deducted. But it becomes really scary as a sport when you have to pick and choose like Mm -hmm. that, you know, and that's kind of been my career for a long time It's me basically putting my job before me and more forgiving that I kind of had to do, but I ended up working out. I didn't, I'm, I'm, I go for blood work in like a week or two and uh, finished all my medicine. I feel a lot better. Did you pass maybe, the stone? I did. Does it hurt it so was, bad? It was terrible. Oh, I just like, was, oh. Yeah, it was terrible. I remember in, I was in dining hall and I'm talking to uh, that little coach, Coach Boogie, and I tell him what's going on. And he said, that's old people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, that's what happens. I, I'm thinking, you know, with the heat waves, um, me just not intaking enough water um, on top of my supplements, all my supplements that I'm taking and stuff and just not flushing that kind of stuff out. Like they say, if you were taking a lot of protein powders and stuff and not just overloading with the water, it could it could easily happen. So mm. lesson learned. Gosh, but, yeah. man. So you mentioned your parents a couple times in the episode and are your parents pastors? Yes. Yeah. My dad is actually a bishop of a church. My mom is actually the actual pastor of the church. Same um, church together? Same church together. Yeah. So they started the church in 92, the year I was born. So I'm their first member. I've been holding on with them for a <laughs> long time. <laughs> I need a, I might need like a, an original uh, ceremony <laughs> or something. Uh, tell me about that, though, that part of your life. Like, how has that influenced your training and who you are? Like, growing up as a person of faith, what does your faith mean to you today? Ah, oh, man. So it's been everything, honestly. It's been the only thing that kind of keeps me more afloat than actually my little pep talks that I give to myself, you know? Um, I always tell people religion is a little tricky because a lot of them have rules and regulations. But if you can kind of step back from that in religion and even take Christianity as a, uh, for a world, you know, you look at the Bible, you read it like a regular novel. Don't read it like this is what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. The Bible is literally a handbook on how to be a great human. Mm. And if you can just look at it like that and take the stories 
and 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 add the lessons to your life and just glean from it it kind of just teaches you that you know you take it day by day uh, worry for nothing um everything that is supposed to be for you will be for you the things that you can't control are things you can't control you're supposed to do the best that you can do as an individual and let god handle the rest and that's kind of how i live my life and uh I definitely owe that to my parents. They've never, not once, pushed church down my throat. Never, not once, forced me to go to services or anything like that. I mean, my dad has missed church for my track meets. <laughs> and he's the past. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so it, it's been it's been cool. And I think them being pastors... It, their career was needed. Like I, like I said, everything happened for a reason. They needed to be so well endowed in spiritual practice because they were going to have a daughter that was going to go out in the world and become something. And I was going to need to come back and ask them a whole bunch of questions. And I needed answers that the world could give me. And I needed answers that no one could get me. No therapist could help me understand. And it wasn't until I opened the Bible and realized, like, yo, this is just a handbook to tell me how to deal with life. It's it's not something that you should be beat over the head with. It's a reference book. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So I try to I try to tell people all the time, you don't gotta believe in the same thing I believe in, but I, I need you to believe in something. Mm. Some something bigger than you, some higher power, whether it be a vibe, a spirit, a entity, a tree. Mother Nature, Father Time, whatever you want to call it, because it's all the same thing, essentially. With Buddhists and Catholics, we all are talking about the same higher power. We just call it different names. And so I think that believing in something is the one thing that can keep you from falling for anything. Well, and your mom is a breast cancer survivor. Yes. Yes. You Were, were you in high school when she walked through that? I was a freshman Okay. in high school. My freshman year, she got diagnosed with triple negative. Um, it was stage four. Wow. Uh, they gave her a 30% chance of living. Wow. She actually came home and told us she was going to die. Mm. It was it was interesting. Um, but my mom's, she's a machine, man. She's... I tell my dad all the time, I probably did get my, you know, my running from you, but the athlete mm. that I am, that's for my mom, mm. hands down, hands down. I mean, this lady, she's going through chemo and I'll never forget one day she can like barely walk and pick up the box, but she finds a big box of my medals. She finds like three boxes of my medals and she starts one by one hanging up every ribbon, every medal, every plaque, every poster, every sign, every letter, every intent, all of my questionnaires from colleges, anything that would remind you of my career. She plastered it from the ceiling all over the walls. I don't remember one place in my in my house not having an accolade on it, you know, and I asked her, like, what are you doing? And she was just like. If I'm not here to tell you, I need you to look around in this room every day and remember why you do this. Remember who you are, because there are going to be moments in your career where life is going to make you forget who you are, what you accomplished, what you can do, 
what your purpose purpose is in life. And I just couldn't believe that this little old lady going through chemo, she can barely lift her head up. And she's over here worrying about me and my career and my life. And she's on literally on her deathbed, you know? And so I realized then that my mom was just a totally different kind of person. She's a totally different breed. She's not nothing to mess with. <laughs> she's not nothing to mess with she's she can cook her butt off she can shoot guns and she can pray pray you out of whatever you need prayed out of but uh she ended up surviving i think it's now been 16 years she's been in remission um i can't tell you how she survived she said faith fought her fear Mm. and she willed herself to survive for her kids and she knew that she had a lot more left on this earth to do. She knew she had books to write. and She had to see me go to the Olympics like I promised. And she's now seen me go to two. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a pretty good journey, me and her. She's like my, my ghostwriter because I'm always stealing the stuff that she says to <laughs> me and stuff like that. I have to start giving her royalties and stuff in a minute. If I make it, if I make it big off of, off of you know, my gap, I'm gonna have to make sure she gets some royalties because I definitely steal everything from her. Paying your dad to coach you, paying your mom to write books with you. <laughs> um, all right, so sights set on t- Olympics 2024. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of unfinished business to do. I'm I'm very disappointed on me not defending my U.S. championship at the Olympic trials. Um, I am very disappointed on not running the final in the four by one. Yeah, so you you were selected for the team. You ran in the prelims, and you didn't run in the final. Yeah. Do you just hate that? Um. Yeah. I. I'm a good. I'm a team player. So yeah. if it if it was if it was done a little bit better, like communication wise, then I would have felt a little bit better about it. But as you can see over the years, United United States has always had trouble troubles and drama in the relay pick pool even execution um i think a lot of it has to do with just our leadership in that area is not as transparent and not as uh, we don't really know each other mm-hmm. nobody knows each other you know we other countries they travel and train all year together you know uh, united states we come two weeks before championships and think we're gonna just break world records and get gold medals which you know we often pull it out yeah but it's always stressful. It's always some type of commotion, some type of drama. And um, I actually didn't find out that I wasn't going to run in the final at Tokyo until about 30 minutes before the race. No. Yeah. Oh, it was like, take off. Oh my gosh. Like, kind of like, take off your number and give it to the other girl. Oh, that's kind like, of kind of thing. Yeah. my gosh. Yeah, especially because I was told the day before when I ran the prelims, like, yo, if you, if you burn this turn, I'm not taking you off. Mm. So I did what I do best. I, <laughs> I got the baton in third. I handed it off in first. This is what I do. And so I'm thinking that, you know, the product that I presented was good enough to keep me on the relay. And I think there was a little bit of a political things going on in the background. And I kind of got booted out. So oh, I'm sorry. I don't I don't blame any of my teammates whatsoever. Sure. I feel like um they ran a hell of a job at the last Olympics. The whole team genuinely was young. 
Mm-hmm. And they got the job done, and I couldn't be any more proud of any of those girls. But, yeah, somebody got to pay for me sitting at home watching it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, You know, I didn't even know. This is, like, bad on me, I guess. I didn't even know that was a thing until I interviewed Kendall Ellis, and she was 4 by 4 and she ran in the prelims. And so then when I'm interviewing you, I, I kind of knew from my experience interviewing her that was the deal. But I don't think most people know about that. No. Unless they they're really in track and field. Absolutely. The relay becomes more so who looks good at the moment, whose coach is speaking up the most, and who's on the best side of the, of the relay coaches that it's kind of more political and I suck at political games. That's why I'm not a politician. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I'm kind of a girl, like I'm gonna let my legs speak for me. And unfortunately it wasn't enough the last time. So I'm definitely going to be running and practicing this year with a lot more of a chip on my shoulder, just to, just to, you know, remind. Sometimes the world needs a reminder. I needed a reminder. Yeah. Well, you're still a huge part of the recipe. You just didn't run in the final race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You mentioned earlier, though, in the conversation, you have to take yourself where you've never been to get to where you want to be. And I wrote that down. And so I'm just thinking, like, where are you going to go as you have your sights set on 2024? Like, where are the places you've never been? Man, um, I feel like I have a lot more to explore on the endurance side of things. Um, I know how to get fast. I know what it takes to move my legs fast, but I wanna see how far I can push myself endurance wise. Um, So I'm gonna switch a couple things up in training. Um, I usually train like a quarter miler, but I'm gonna take it up a notch, do a lot more incline work hit some hills. Uh, I'm going to start my preconditioning before fall a little bit earlier this year just to get a better base, um, which is something that I've never done before. Um, Just really concentrating on each time I step on the line, each time I step on the track that I'm just pushing myself a little bit. I want to see what it looks like when I empty the tank. Not saying that I haven't emptied the tank, but a lot of a lot of training when you're a sprinter is controlled aggression. So I'm always learning how to build up to that max and then control and maintain and hold. Whereas I just want to know what happens if in practice, I just, I just pour the cup out. Mm. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm emptying the clip as I've been telling my dad this end of the season and I'm going to see what happens. And I'm definitely, um, I built a lot more confidence in a weight room last year um I used to be a little scared of it just scared of getting hurt I noticed every time I would really be deep in the weight room I would have hamstring issues so I I learned a system that kind of works with my body where I don't get hurt and so I'm ready to I guess go into that system and push myself in that and see what happens after that too um and then I'll be doing this season with sports psychology so I'll Mm. be talking to a therapist I think uh once a week or, or every two weeks this season for the entire year. Like, I'm not going to stop. Usually I bail when I start feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stick to it. 
it'll be like rehab. It'll be like preventative and I'll just treat it like everything else. Like my brain is a part of my body. So it's when I take care of my body, I have to take care of my mental too. So that'll be something too that I'll be a little bit more involved in and kind of taking myself places that I've never been. I think spiritually go a little bit deeper and just, you know, try to be like water as a, mm. uh, as a Kung Fu legend says, you can be like water, you can be anywhere, you can do anything, you can, you can be powerful, you can be gentle, you can cleanse, you can destroy, you know? So I just, as long as I can figure out how to be more like water, I, I think I'll be good. Water is life, man. It's like, it is. Someone said that once about running a marathon. Scott Fobble said that. And it's like, oh man, what a like fluid, peaceful. You know, you're not really trying to be peaceful when you're sprinting 100 meters, but like. Believe it or not, you have to. Okay, tell me. Okay. Yeah, because when you're sprinting, like, and it's so rigid and so rugged, they always tell you, like, in that, relax. Mm. It's like, I'm running 30 miles an hour. How do you relax in that? But if you look at sprinters and they do like the slow motion and you see our cheeks, mm. they're like bouncing. We have no tension on our face. Our arms are free flowing. There is some sense of, of freeness that we kind of have to have in order to run like those elite times. Like I've run fast tense, but all of my elite times have come from just being like water. Being like, why do you have to have that peace plus that intensity to get like yes. all coming together? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, when you're talking about talking to your sports psych, it's like, I think that's why so, so many people struggle with going to therapy in general is because say you feel shitty 20% of the time and you feel good 80% of the time, you think I don't need it because like I can like white knuckle my way through that 20%. Yeah. You need that like that water. throughout yeah you do you have to be leveled and I feel like when you white knuckle that 20% now that's a lot less energy that you have for the good Mm. in the the 80 wow that's so so true it's a balance man that's what life is about it's about balance it's about accepting and balancing and when you can master that nothing nothing matters like I told myself this year, I was just like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You lose your, your Nike contract? Okay. Now what? You you can still run. You still have breath in your body. You can still have the opportunity to get a new contract. You have all the tools you need to do this again. Like, you did that. Like, Nike didn't come to you and say, hey, I'm going to sign you. Like, no, you knocked on their door and was like, look, this is what I have. You want it or not. So still be that same person still be balanced like that so yes yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a task but being like water is something that I think every every person should figure out how to get that free flow that's worth a tattoo like, yeah it'd be like water mm-hmm. I actually have a water company which is funny so I'm gonna tell them about that yeah oh like partner. one of your sponsors yeah so uh, I linked up with this water company called be clear and so I ended up getting a percentage of the company so now I'm actually like it's I'm a part of it oh, cool. and so it's been amazing we are uh, black owned nurse owned veteran owned um, 9.7 alkalinity we're in an aluminum BPA free recycled bottle so we don't really affect the pollution out there and uh, we have a nonprofit that goes with the water supposed to build wells in Africa so that they can have sustainable water sources. So, yeah. So when I was at the Olympic trials, we were actually in 
uh, Kenya giving out packages of water, buying grains for the schools, feminine products for the female schools, just kind of just trying to do my best at making the world better. I think we all kind of play a part in it. And if we can just do the best we can do, slowly but surely we'll start chipping away of all the evil. That's evil so has awesome. to be there, but it's necessary. It's it is necessary. Oh, that is so cool. Be clear. Be clear. Okay. Uh, what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Um, I want to create an uh, EP. I sing. Really? Um, yes. Oh, I you sing. sing at your church. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. You crump and but, you sing? <laughs> I'm like Chris Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I sing. I want to actually get my thoughts down on the paper. I started doing it a little bit this year. It was very therapeutic and so. I'm going to be a little bit more serious. I'm not as confident as I am singing that I am running. And I just think this is because I put a lot of more effort or work into my track than I do singing. So definitely be a little bit more diligent about that. And professionally wise, though, I want my own damn medal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to share it. I don't want to share it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love sharing it with my girls and like we're all standing on the podium together and stuff like that. But like selfishly i just want my own yeah so i don't really care about times i don't really care about accolades i just want my own gold medal so whatever opportunity presents itself whether it's the next world championships or the next olympics i'll be striving for that and that only and the relay i want it to be like a cherry on top i don't want it to be the only thing that i'm like going for yeah English in her 30s is going to tear it up. Tear it up. I mean, Jesus walked on water at 33, so. Yeah, that's going to be your year. When will you be 33? What what championship uh, will be happening? That, that might be. So I'm 30 now, 2024. That might be 20, around 2024. There we go. Walk. I'm going to walk on water. And that's at the low end of that range you mentioned, that 30 to 36. Yes, it is. It is. Once you start winning, though, it's all downhill. You can't, you can't stop. Obviously, look at Shelly. She can't, she can't slow down if she wanted to. So cool to have her as an example, though. Oh, man. I remember when she was struggling. I remember her te- talking to my dad with tears in her eyes. Mm. Like, I don't know what's going on. And <laughs> never forget, we're at a track meet. I'm coming back from my second ACL tear. And my dad looks at her and goes, you're going to win again. Mm. You just got to believe. And so when we walk away from the conversation, I'm like, well, if she's going to win, then what is that? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, dad. <laughs> What's that mean for me? I'm in the same race. Like, yeah, she she can't win if I'm winning, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm super happy for her. I'm super, super happy for her. She's she's an amazing human. She proved everyone wrong. She went and she saw Alice's lead, went and had a baby and came back on Mommy Rocket and mm. tore it up. That's so awesome. That is amazing. She's a goat for sure. That's so cool. Uh, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Ooh, reading uh, The Four Agreements. Um, I forget who it was by, though. And then another one was uh, The Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I read that one a while ago, though. I read that one, like, around 2016, and still, I still be like, you know what, I'm not listening to all of the lessons that I learned, but the four agreements is something that I've been picking here and there. My girl sit down and we'll just pick through it. And it's basically just 
making four agreements with yourself so that you no longer allow the things that happen in life happen to you, but that make them happen for you. It's mm. basically everything that I've kind of been talking about. Just not taking things personal, mm. um, lo- loving yourself, making sure that you put yourself first and taking time. A lot of people, we take time for everything and anyone but us. We, we just, we lose ourselves. God, told my brother the other day he was like struggling to get something done and I'm like you do so much for this person but when are you going to start doing that for yourself so loving yourself is what that book taught me but yeah definitely definitely my two favorite books so far and the bible the bible's pretty cool okay who is someone fun motivating or inspiring you would like to have coffee tea or cocktail with hmm I want to talk to Mike Tyson. Mm. I noticed you mentioned people in other sports a lot. Yeah. It's a big inspiration. There's nobody in my sport that's honest. <laughs> we all kind of, we protect the sport. We do. <laughs> we do. I noticed that a lot more other sports who have a little bit more security outside of their sport are able to open up and talk about their sport. And I love the way Mike Tyson talks about the the fighter that he had to become. Mm. Um, the hardships that he went through in life. He has a crazy podcast called Hot Boxing. Okay. Okay. It's it's wild though. It's really <laughs> wild. He, he gets super high, like off of like crazy stuff, like sometimes shrooms, sometimes he'll like lick toads and stuff. Like it's crazy. And then he starts, but he says that's the only way he's able to spiritually open up and let people see what's inside because he's lived his whole life with this wall and this mm. guard and so watching his podcast and listening to it you can actually hear how he became who he became and the things and the thought process that he became I'll never forget one time he said not everybody is your enemy and not every friend is worth the fight or something like that and it's like some of the stuff he says like it stuck with me this year. It stuck with me the year before. And so I was like, I like him. He's actually supposed to come to Jersey on the 20th. And so I'm going to try. Like, he's, is he speaking so like, or something? Yeah, he's speaking at one of the little like, uh, conference places over here. And so I'm going to try to see if I can get a ticket to go see him. But, yeah, Mike Tyson, man. I used to want to hear from um, Floyd Mayweather. But that was before I started listening to Mike. What's your favorite sport to watch? My favorite sport to watch would probably be, I guess, I like watching boxing. I've just now gotten back into football. I'm going to be honest. I stopped watching football for a very long time, um, only simply because I just couldn't stomach the fact that they were getting paid, like, millions of dollars Uh, as a team. Like, it's not even an individual sport. And then I couldn't get over the fact that they call themselves world champions and they only play against each other. Yeah. (laughs) And my uncle is in the NFL. I got a couple of friends that are in there, and like, no, no offense, like, yeah, but like, what? <laughs> so it took me a long time to get back into it. Um, but now that I've been coaching a lot of uh, football players, I have a D one athlete at Clemson, one at South Carolina, one at Penn State right now, and then a athlete I'm coaching right now he's going he just committed to West Virginia so I'm going to be watching football a lot more okay I guess because I've been working with them but um besides track yeah I would say probably boxing and football I was so excited to watch Clarissa Shields fight on the 10th 
but the queen passed away, mm. so they postponed the match. So I didn't get there. And that was about to be the biggest women's fight in history. Um, it was the first time that the women's card in boxing was all female. Okay. So, yeah. So it's like, I like women's boxing yeah. more than men. Want, but whatever. Um. All right. What is your last message to leave with the audience today? My last message would probably be what I have been kind of preaching to myself, I guess, this whole year is you got to really pay attention to the W's in your life. And it's not just the wins, but pay attention to who you are. Pay attention to what you want to do and what you want to be. Pay attention to where you want to go and figure out why. Because once you do all those things, then you'll be able to have a clear conscious and a clear path in those moments where you feel like you can't figure life out. You can't figure out who you are. You can't just make it happen. You have the ability to glean off of those W's in your life. Not just the wins, but those W's. And the wins to push you forward. So those are important, man. Get those dubs. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Of course, anytime. Okay, friends, thanks for being here today. Thank you, English, for coming on the podcast. Love hearing about the life of a track and field athlete. If you all want to follow English on Instagram, you can follow her. She's Ugly Ducklin over there, but it's spelled different. It's U-G-H-L-Y-D-U-C-K-L-I-N. Remember, she was an organ duck back in the day. Uh, anyway, you can find me personally. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram and at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. We have a great Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where I would love to connect with you. If you want to learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network, just go to sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends, have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend. Check out our show notes at sandyboyproductions.com to learn more about all the sponsors, Koala Clip, ZocDoc, and Prevenex of this episode. Thanks for being here and we will see you next week.